Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Amen. Word of God for our special consideration this morning is our first lesson, Exodus 20, but for this sermon text, only verses 5b and 6. I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. I follow up on the guilt of the fathers with their children, their grandchildren, and their great-grandchildren, if they also hate me. But I show mercy to thousands who love me and keep my commandments. This is the word of our Lord. Dear children of our Heavenly Father, those of us who are familiar with the King James Version's translation of those verses from Exodus 20, which are included in what is called the conclusion to the Ten Commandments in the Luther's small catechism, well, you probably remember how those verses talked of, or that translation talked of the Lord visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children. And that's kind of funny wording to us today. But it reflects the idea of the original Hebrew verb there that has the idea of seeking out for a purpose. Now, some more recent translations put it as punishes, but that in some respects took the meaning too far. I really like the way the Evangelical Heritage Version here renders this. Follow up on, or in a footnote, demand an accounting for. It makes what God says here sound less unfair. Sound less like he unjustly punishes innocent children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren for the sins of their fathers. Clearly what God is actually saying is that the fathers are punished, and if later generations continue in their father's hatred of the Lord demonstrated by their disobedience and disrespect, particularly by giving the honor that belongs to him to someone or something else, well then they too will suffer those consequences. So, what does this tell us about how God deals with people's sin and unbelief? He takes it very seriously. But what follows immediately after that? The Lord tells us that he shows mercy, not just to a comparable few generations, but to thousands of those who love him, and because of that love, keep his commandments. So what does this tell us about how God deals with those who turn to him instead of away from him? Well. He takes showing them mercy very seriously. In fact, we could argue even more seriously than he takes dealing out the consequences of hate and disobedience. So the Lord our God is a serious God. The things he says about sin are to be taken seriously. And the things he says about his grace are to be taken seriously. That doesn't mean everything is harsh or that he is unmoving or unsmiling. But it does mean 
that nothing he says or does and nothing about the way he deals with sinners is to be ignored, taken for granted, or, or arrogantly pushed aside as unimportant because we know better or simply don't care. Our gospel today preaches this lesson vividly. The merchants and the men who ran the temple were not taking God seriously. They were doing the opposite. They had decided that the outer courts of the temple, which were supposed to be reserved as a place for non-Jews to come and worship the Lord, and at the very least should have been kept as a place of, of quiet contemplation or teaching, these merchants and the people in charge of the temple had decided instead that those outer courts were the ideal location for profiteering. Jews who had traveled a long way, often from other countries, would not have brought animals for sacrifices, so those would have to be purchased. And they would not have the local currency for offerings, so they would have to change money. Merchants were in the temple courts to provide both services. But much like the vendors in a modern airport, since they were the only game in town, they were able to charge prices that were very favorable to the merchants and not at all favorable to those who, the faithful who had come for worship. It was really good business. So when Jesus first comes to Jerusalem at the beginning of his ministry, he demonstrates that he will be taking the Lord's business very seriously. Now, we often picture this event as, as something like Jesus just going into a spontaneous rage. But it was actually more deliberate from that. We, we know this because he took the time to make a whip out of cords before he did anything else. But once he did, he made very clear that he and the Lord had no patience for the business that had invaded the sacred grounds of God's house and that had left no place for those who sought God to actually find him. So Jesus drove out the beasts and also the livestock those merchants were selling. He turned the tables on the currency manipulators and, and didn't even leave the sellers of doves in peace. Get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a place of business. He acted in right and righteous anger. and No one dared defy him. Zeal consumed him. He took the temple, the meeting of God with those who loved him, very seriously. But the greatest most vivid example there is of God and Jesus taking things seriously, both human sin and divine love, is what Paul focuses on in our reading today from 1 Corinthians, the cross of Christ. What seems to be such foolishness to human reason is in fact deep seriousness and wisdom, justice and mercy, law and gospel. 
the jealousy that the Lord has for His name and His person and His wrath against disobedience and rebellion is seen when Jesus is crucified. Because He is suffering and dying to take the punishment of every such sin, of every sin, of every sinner. The pain, the agony, the abuse, the abandonment, the absolute separation from the Father's love, the blood, the thirst, the gasping, the pressure, the strain, and then finally the death. The death of God's own beloved Son, perfect in every way, dearer to Him than we could ever imagine. This is all the evidence anyone ever needs that God takes sin seriously. I remember a friend I had in college who clearly felt that most of the Bible's condemnation of sin, especially of relations between unmarried men and women, that that those were all out of date, unimportant, and, and free to be ignored. But she still felt obliged as a good Catholic to keep a crucifix on her wall. I don't think I ever actually got the nerve to point out to her that if it was true that God cared so little about sin, that there was never any reason for Jesus to be hanging there, and that the cross would then be meaningless. But it's not. (laughs) There is nothing more meaningful Because as much as it is evidence of how seriously God takes sin, it is even more proof of how serious He is about His love for sinners. Because the whole reason Jesus came to the earth, lived among us, and suffered and died, was to deliver the disobedient from the consequences of their unbelief and rebellion. The Father willingly sacrificed His Son. And the Son willingly sacrificed Himself so that as our substitute, He could pay the price for all the world's sin and suffer its punishment so that no one, no one would have to die and be damned. He took it all in our place. And with His resurrection on Easter morning, He made clear that that not only was His mission complete and His sacrifice accepted, but eternal life like His was guaranteed to all who would put their trust in what He had done for them. It was all grace, all mercy, all compassion, all the work of a God who seriously loves sinners. So what does all this seriousness mean for you and me? As believers, as Christians, as children of the Heavenly Father, well, it means we will not take God for granted in any way. Most of all, we will not take His grace for granted. The fact that we are forgiven for Christ's sake will never give us an excuse to do the very things that Jesus went to the cross to pay for. 
His blood washes away the guilt of our lies and our laziness, our idolatries and our adulteries, our our violence and our vices. But that means that we now want nothing more than to be rid of those things forever and avoid them in every way. Not return to them again and again or think that they can't be that bad if God forgives them so easily. The Lord's seriousness about His law also means that we will strive not just to avoid sin, but to we will work to actively obey His will and to, to do the things that please Him. Note how He introduced the Ten Commandments with a reminder, not of His power, but of His grace. I am the Lord your God who brought you out from the land of Egypt where you were slaves. We find the motivation and the power to obey and to do what is good and right, not within ourselves, but in the gospel. He delivered us, and now we glorify Him. And we don't do this weakly or half-heartedly or haphazardly. We do it seriously. In fact, since our loving Lord is so serious about everything He has done for us and gives to us, as Christians, we will also be serious about everything that He has done for us and gives to us. Now, that doesn't mean that there is no room for smiling or laughing. Quite the opposite. We are seriously joyful to be members of Christ's kingdom and heading to heaven. But in love for the God who saves, we are serious not just about outward obedience to His law, but also about inward alignment to His will. We seriously want to want everything God wants. And we take His promises to to hear and answer our every prayer and to bless and care for us in every need seriously. We are also seriously interested in and committed to the mission that, that He gave His church of spreading the gospel near and far to to our own friends and neighbors and to distant tribes and nations. Because we want every sinner to know the same salvation, freedom, and joy that we have in Christ. Seriously. This past Wednesday evening, we talked about Peter's misguided zeal when he slashed off someone's ear in the Garden of Gethsemane. What we are talking about now is grace-guided zeal. That's what Jesus showed in the temple, and it's what the Lord showed to His people, not only in delivering them from their slavery in Egypt, but also in giving them, in His law, the guide they needed to live in holiness. So my prayer for Christ Lutheran Church is that it continue to grow in grace-guided zeal and seriously. Take Paul for an example. In our reading from 1 Corinthians 1, he showed that zeal 
for the message of the cross. May this church and its pastors always and only ever preach Christ crucified, regardless of what anyone else thinks. Because as foolish as it may seem to the world, it is the power of God and the only message of salvation for any sinner. Seriously, there is no name on earth other than Christ by which we may be saved. And like Paul, may you also always have a zeal for truth. The wisdom of the world can be very appealing, but when it stands in opposition to God's revelation, it is both false and deadly. So wherever your own judgment or your peers' opinions or the pronouncement of experts and authorities tell you that the Bible is in error or is inadequate, remember who is actually wise and who is actually foolish. And trust, trust that God knows what He is talking about in His Word and that He loves us enough to give us a revelation that can be relied on 100% seriously. And though it may seem foolish or even arrogant to say so in these times, a grace-guided zeal should also lead this church and its members to be serious about being confessional Lutherans. Because that identity is all about being serious about what God is serious about. Things like salvation by grace alone through faith in Christ alone and that faith got founded and on and guided by Scripture alone. Things like making disciples for Christ by baptizing people of all nations for the forgiveness of their sins and teaching them everything that He has commanded. Not just the stuff that's more popular or easier to swallow or get agreement on. It involves things like the true nature, gift, and value of, of the Lord's Supper. A precious powerful sacrament in which Christ gives us His own body and blood to eat and to drink in, with, and under the bread and wine. A marvelous, miraculous meal in which we receive forgiveness, life, and salvation because that is what He said and we take His Word seriously. There are more things worth talking about taking seriously, then there is time. But I trust that you get the point. Be serious about what God is serious about. His law, but especially His gospel. His word, the Bible. Holiness, truth, grace, doctrine. The message of the cross, the mission of the church, the fellowship and bond between brothers and sisters in Christ, watching out for the weak and defenseless and caring for the needy, worshiping God in truth, love, 
and joy. Praying to the Almighty for every need and every soul. There is just so much that is worth that kind of grace-guided zeal for each of you and for all of you. So I pray, and I trust that you also pray, that we may have it all of our lives, together and apart, for generations and for thousands. Seriously. Amen. Please rise. May our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God our Father, who loved us and in His grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and establish you in every good work and word. Amen.